1: Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, uh, Ed Amon. Um, and I realized today that I've done some episodes, but I've never introduced myself. Um, I was in, uh, I was a business professional for a long while uh, and a senior brand manager in a large organization. But last year, I dropped everything and I embarked on a Master's of Indigenous Studies, which I recently finished. And I'm also a stand-up comedian. Um but it's not about me. Today, we are going to talk about the book Towards a Grammar of Race in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, it is a collection of scholarly work uh, by several scholars and practitioners edited by Arcia Tekun, uh, Lana Lopesy and Anisha Sankar. Uh, the editors also have contributing chapters in the book as well. And we are very privileged today to have one of the editors, Arcia Tekun, with us. Um, Arcia Tekun is a, uh, a filmmaker and a podcaster and a lecturer at the University of Auckland in ethnomusicology and social cultural anthropology. Uh, His research and teaching interests include indigeneity, race, class, gender, religion, food, and popular culture and music in Oceania and the Americas. Uh, Tenakwe Tekun,
0: how are you today? Tenakwe, doing good. Great to be here, appreciate the opportunity.
1: Yes, and hopefully uh, because I, I always take the introduction down from the from the from the website and um, hopefully I did justice to that. Uh, but we'll just start with just asking you how would you you know, how would you introduce yourself to, the, to everyone?
0: Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I think uh, the things that, you know, that's the the professional uh, intro, mm. um, you know, I guess my everyday life is um, I've got a partner and I've got four kids and uh-huh. that's a big part of my life. And so I also um, introduced myself as as a dad, um, <laughs> <laughs> as an armchair philosopher, um, <laughs> as someone who, who, who likes to exercise, but not to um, necessarily... Uh, look fit but to try (laughs) but to just try to stay where i'm at because i like to eat you know part of my interest in food is both academic and personal Um, oh yes so i I trace both ritual foods and everyday foods and of course i've got to be heavily engaged in all that and so um (laughs) i I would say yeah that's uh, that's a bit about me i also love watching uh all kinds of media um -hmm. i I, I joke with close friends that I learned how to read in my grad program um, uh, yeah! <laughs> because, I mean, now I read all the time, but prior to that, you know, like a lot of my socialization and upbringing was very media-based, and so I haven't abandoned that. I still watch probably as much as I read, um, yeah. but that's a big part of uh, – I like to be aware of, of how people are making sense of the world or, or how the world is being made sense of for people um, on their behalf, so – yeah, that's a little bit more, I guess, about my everyday life.
1: <laughs> it's inter- interesting. Interesting, you know, there's a, a certain commonalities there uh, about exercise and food. I don't um, I do food academically, but I do do food a lot. And be, uh, coming from Pakistan, and it's it's a big part of my. I'm from Pakistan as well, so it's it's a it, it's a big part of my um, my upbringing, my culture, and it's can't do anything. Um, Without it, and and I try to engage in um, health and fitness, but it is it is an ongoing journey that will forever be with me. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> me, me too, man. I'm in the fat fit life. <laughs> so so that, that, that's where I'm at. So, yeah. yeah I, I should mention, because you did as well, Like my, my fucker papa is, is back mm. to Ishimuleo or Guatemala mm. in Central America. But I was born and raised in the U.S. Mm. Uh, and have been in, in Aotearoa for the last um, eight Matariki now. Um, All and right. my, my partner is originally from Kirikirua, which is what the pull was to bring us out this way initially.
1: Oh that's uh, that's when I came I came here in uh, 2010 I came to Otahi Christchurch and just before the earthquake so that was a fun experience introduction to uh, New Zealand um the so what what actually um, brought you to New Zealand in the first place
0: yeah, so um, uh, my partner was the big pool. She wanted to come back home and, and give um, our, our Tamariki a, a chance to experience some of what she had growing up. Um, but also uh, it kind of opened up uh, through an opportunity to pursue my doctoral studies. So um, I got accepted into the anthropology program back, oh man, 2014 or so. And I started in 2015 um, and and got into uh, my research uh, uh, primarily around um, Tongan Fai Kava and contemporary practices around that, having been introduced mm-hmm. to it in the States, in Utah, yeah. of all places, um, <laughs> and, and got a chance to come in and, and and the research route gave me my student visa. Then my partner got me my residency, so we were able to stick <laughs> around. And um, uh, yeah, I guess that was uh, the initial was a chance for her to come home, show her kids a little bit of life here. And, and also, I mean, it, um, at, at least for me, it, it's such a, rich site to study anything in the region. Wow. Um, you know, Altero is just placed so uniquely intellectually, um, politically, culturally uh, to, to understand the region. Um, and especially being in Tamaki Makoto, right. Um, uh, what many will tell, you know, the Polynesian, Polynesian city of the world yeah. um, and so that just gives so many different uh, opportunities to to engage with so many different realms from across the region but also the region's global right so we have heaps of you know South Asian East Asian uh, yeah. such a rich diversity here that really helps understand the region I at least for me in my experience being here um, just some great insights
1: yeah it's a it's a it's interesting I always ask this question um what uh, got you into academics because for some people it's it's a it's a it's just the next step you know you finish your first degree and then you do something as as a postgrad like a diploma or a, or a masters and then you just stumble into a phd uh my journey was different but how, what what was your journey
0: yeah um definitely a lot of stumbling for sure <laughs> um you know i was a first generation university student um and i was kind of raised on like this this meritocracy, uh, you know, propaganda of like, hey, this is this is the way you're gonna make it, and so on and so forth. And um, I mean, it, it. I actually struggled a lot through my undergrad. I dropped out of two different universities. Mm. It took me uh, seven years to get my my undergrad degree. I got my master's and PhD in less time than my undergrad. <laughs> um, and each one I was kind of stumbling into. Um, but initially, I got in just because I, you know, I heard that whole mantra of hey, you know, like you get a better job, all that kind of stuff. And um, I had no, I, I wasn't prepared for it. So as I'm stumbling through university and kind of transferring from a community college or Unitech kind of equivalent to a four-year mm. institution, I didn't realize all the prereqs that I needed for all the stuff that I initially planned on studying. I wanted to get mm. into um, sports science actually initially um, and exercise and sports science. And then uh, I ended up taking an anthropology class and I was like, man, this is, cool like i yeah. could I actually talk about culture this is yeah. <laughs> you know that was uh, interesting and, and and in the end it was uh, more uh, i guess practical um than the original route that i wanted to do cuz i didn't have any of the prereqs done hmm. so i got my undergrad in anthropology and i really enjoyed it um but then by the end of it i realized oh man like nowadays i feel like i need maybe a masters too <laughs> um and uh and i really enjoyed anthropology i loved the topics but i also felt that Pedagogically, sometimes it was a bit bland, Mm -hmm. right? Speaking of food, food metaphor, right? Need a little spice, need a little seasoning. Exactly. So, um, I I got into a master's of education, and I did that at the Education, Culture, and Society program at the University of Utah. I had no idea what I was getting into. I just I got in, and at that time, um, it was the only program that I knew of that uh, at the uni that I didn't require like a a post grad pre exam. Um, oh, yeah. You know, because that's a big thing in the States, right? GREs and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And so I was like, man, I'm horrible at tests. I've, <laughs> I barely survived here. I, I, that program sounds good to me. <laughs> and then I landed into this really, um, theoretically rich program, uh, got exposed to, uh, decolonial theory, post-colonial colonial theory, indigenous studies, indigenous epistemologies, queer theory, critical race theory, the black radical tradition. I mean, just you name it, it was there. Mm. Um, marxism everything and i was just like wow it just it it like uh, it was overwhelming (laughs) Mm. um that's where i feel like i learned how to read because i was like really getting into stuff and at that point i think everything shifted and it no longer became about a job it started to become about man i want to learn uh i want to understand and i want to try to find um ways to make or to better understand the world that I've experienced. And at that point, everything shifted for me intellectually. Um, And so when it came to time for the PhD, um, I did apply to a bunch of places in the States. And then I applied at University of Auckland. Things were kind of rough financially, you know, the U.S. and struggling. And, you know, and I was like, ah, maybe it won't work out. And so in the U.S., you got to pay fees for the PhD programs. And in the end, me and my partner were like, "Ah, oh, you know what? Maybe we're just not going to do it." So I didn't pay for any of my fees. Mm. But then I got an acceptance letter from University of Auckland, and I was like, "Hey, I didn't pay my application fee." They're like, "We don't charge application fees." <laughs> and I was like, "What? Wow, that's cool." <laughs> and um, and so uh, you know, wasn't going to do it, but because I had got, received that acceptance, sat down with my fauna and were like, "Hey, you know, should we consider this?" And it was an opportunity then for for my partner to come back home for our kids to get exposed to Aotearoa. And and at that point, I was like, "Man, I got in, sweet." And um, I kind of made a little shift, still in anthropology, um, but got an opportunity to do ethnomusicology, which is, in essence, right how people make music and how music makes people. In essence, it's like anything you want it to be, but just using sound as the metaphor or as the the um, I guess the site of study um, to to better understand different phenomena. And uh, there's a lot of overlaps with pop culture, which I was kind of getting back into at that time as well. You know, as far as my interests and and again, yeah, long long story, long story. I was gonna say, long story short, but I've already kind of been going. But yeah, so and at the end, I came, I came, found a great group of people to work with, uh, really opened up my um, uh, my world even further. And then everything that I had read, all that theory that I had read in my masters, finally started to make sense. And I look back and I'm like, oh man, all my poor professors, they. I, I thought I knew what I was talking about, but yeah. I was just just reacting to stuff, right? <laughs> and then now I reread all these theory, and I was like, "Oh, that's what it really means." I totally was off the ball, <laughs> or 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 maybe I was like just, uh, you know, I was kind of there, but not really there. And so it really gave me a chance to to drop down. And then yeah, at that point, it was less about a job and more about, hey, you know, I'm I'm really interested in uh, thinking about ideas, um, trying to figure out what are the right words for those ideas and can we come up with new words or new expressions or metaphors to make better sense of, you know, issues or problems we see in the world. Um, and and you know try to be the best at it as I can and and, and find a way to you know pay the bills, um, you know however possible. But yeah, yeah. So at that point, yeah. And so I, I always have to remind my kids of that too, because I'm like, hey, man, you know people got to pay to go to uni to listen to me. I hope you get to listen to me for free. <laughs> Doesn't always work, but I try.
1: <laughs> uh, it's I mean it's a it's a great it's a great journey, and it's there's a, there's some uh, parallels. With me, is mean, I mean, for me, uh, growing up in Pakistan, that was, it was the, the only path. I mean, that was the, and my, and my dad, uh, my father is an ophthalmologist, he's a doctor, so, and I'm the eldest child. So that was the path set for me. I was to become a doctor, uh, and I could have, but because i was i was young and stupid and rebellious as well i was like i'm not going to do what you tell me to do so uh but within the framework of south asian strictness right so um i said i'm not going to become a doctor so my dad said that listen if you're not becoming a doctor you got to get into the best university uh for business in in karachi i was in karachi so i busted my ass and uh, tried to get in there and then i stuck to business for like until 2021, and then I got out of it just recently, as I said in my uh, introduction. And it was it was amazing that I did it until my mom, I mean the the path, it was not really chosen by me, but I just chose it because okay that's the path. I have to be in business. I have to earn some money. Pay pay pay. Earn earn earn. Money money money. And um, but then uh, but living in Aotearoa a little bit changed me in in the sense that. I started focusing on the society a little bit more and trying to find my place here. And I said, what the hell am I doing? So I just totally cut my <laughs> cut my path and started a new one, which is fantastic because I love it. Uh, because the study in the past was like, I study, that's the work, and then I do the stuff that I enjoy separately. Now the study is the stuff that I enjoy and... It's it's a great combination. So, yeah, it's um I, I completely relate to how the different people people journeys um work um with the I mean our listeners will be you know talk about the book. Finally, I said okay, all right. How did how did you because I, I've read some background and listened to some of your podcasts as well. Um, so it's a very interesting story. How did the project come about?
0: Oh man. Yeah. So, um, I feel like, uh, so I, I talk a little bit about it in, in my chapter, um, hmm. you know, drawing from, uh, Fred Moten and Stefano Harney's, um, the undercommons, you know, of, uh, fugitive planning and black study. And I kind of feel like I met my co-editors in the undercommons, right? Because we're, yeah. we were all in institutions of higher learning or tertiary learning at the time. But, um, Lana was just across the street at AUT. Um, and uh, um, anisha was in uh, sociology and previous to that um in philosophy and i was in anthropology and somehow we 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 crossed paths and we would begin having different types of conversations um, ar- around things that we were interested in that may or may not have been things that we were able to take it within our our own disciplines perhaps or even the own the own realms that we were in, um, and so we kind of—I guess it was like the the conversations you have in the hallway or outside of classrooms—that kind of began to forge, I would say, these these intellectual uh, relationships um, and and personal relationships as well. Um, and so we kind of had that base. And um, as uh, you know, that that continued. You know, 2020 was a major catalyst for sure for a lot of things around the globe, um, and and at least the way I recall it you know we have this global pandemic that's hit hmm. um and you know um and this is another just kind of reflection yes. you know side note reflection here but you know i i feel like in the past you know growing up with dial up internet and, and yeah. you know, the nineties and that kind of stuff, right? Like what's on TV is on TV. And so like, I feel like more people are watching the same thing at once, yeah. but nowadays, right. There's so much stuff all the time everywhere, mm-hmm. but I feel like the pandemic kind of maybe was a flashback to the past a little bit where, because there was more people um, isolating at home, there was more people paying attention to the same kind of places and, and media. Um, it was almost kind of like a memory of, of what that was like, you know, before where everybody's kind of watching the same thing. And then George Floyd gets killed. Yeah, right. And, um, and and it has this, this globe, I mean, this stuff is it's not new. People, yeah. you know, know about this stuff that are in the, have been, you know, Black Lives Matter is a lot older um, than that particular
1: moment. It was the straw okay. that broke the camel's back, you know.
0: There you go, full yeah. on, right? And so then you have everybody watching and there's this major catalyst and um and then you're in the midst of a global pandemic. Um and I and I feel like that also catalyzed our conversations. And um, you know, uh Lana Anisha and myself, you know, were also kind of uh, we, we began this this uh I guess what is it a a book club or a reading group reading group Mm -hmm. um and wanted to read stuff that we felt that other people around us weren't necessarily reading we wanted to think through it together um and so we we grabbed um you know a, a variety of different texts and we were using that to try to make sense of what we were seeing occur because you know while black lives matter um has its its unique context that it's emerging out of it's also related to global phenomenon and it also had this global kind of uh chain reaction where you're seeing these ruptures uh you know kind of organizing around um black lives matter in you know from from the papuas in oceania to the uk and and you know everywhere in between um and a part of that too was like seeing how language is being adopted Mm. Right in different contexts, and how at times that was creating certain tensions, even in myself. Like, I was not always comfortable with how I was seeing certain terminology adopted, you know, kind of decontextualized. And at other times, I thought, oh, this adoption seems quite practical and useful at the same time. So I was kind of feeling both ways, depending on what was being said and how it was being said. Anyways, me, Lana, and Ani are having these conversations around the stuff we're reading and this moment. Um, and then we start kind of saying, hey, maybe we should put stuff together. Um, you know, Lana had an experience with Bridget Williams' books. Um, she's, she's got two books with them prior to this. And, um, had the, that hookup and connection to get us thinking about, Hey man, let's put together a book. And then in the process too, we're like, man, th- we, we need to get some more voices in here. And so each of us, you know, kind of reached out into our, our, our own little networks. And there's some overlaps in there as well, but um, you know, cast that net wide. And, you know, as far as, you know, academia, right. You yeah. cast it wide because yeah. half of them aren't going to be available, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and, and then you go with that half and then a couple of those might, you know, have things come up. And so, Um, In the end, we have a really rich group of of really diverse scholars from diverse backgrounds, perspectives, and disciplines that all were willing to kind of contribute um, to this conversation and bring together all those different voices and even disciplinary backgrounds, right? We, even me, Lana, and Anisha, right, we, um, it's kind of like. Anthro, ethnomusicology, art and uh, Pacific studies and sociology and philosophy. And we didn't always have the same agreement on the understanding of terms and how Mm. even race is understood or or interrogated or analyzed within those different realms. And so, you know, that you know, just spread even further once we had all these amazing contributors uh, join in and add some more. And that's kind of, I guess, what we wanted to do in the end was have a little bit of something for everyone, but also put everything together as much as possible, building on the work that's been done here before, but also trying to really tap into that global conversation as well, because that's, I think, what part of the catalyst of the book was we were seeing. You know, locally we're connected to the globe, and then at the same time, the globe is here, and we got yeah. to f- try to find better ways to make sense of that messiness and
1: that kind of complicated reality
0: a bit more, especially along the lines of race.
1: Yes, and it, it was it, it was like a wild journey re- reading the book as well because I was, you know, I come from a a different place from as compared to all the writers in there. So you start connecting to different things and other people might be connecting to other things. So me coming from India and Pakistan, and India, the previous India and the current Pakistan. And so I have a different history of how people talk about up I have a, you know, when people talk about connection to the land, mine is a, a weird it's a 70 year old and my i lived through the imagination of my grandfather but he was a disappointed man um after many years of independence but was that real independence so it's like a complicated yeah. feelings that you have and so you start connecting to so i um um and i learned so many new things like the 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 west papuan chapter i i was and it was clearly mentioned in that that it uh, you know people become racialized and then ignored and all of a sudden i realized that this has been happening and i knew about it but i would just generally just I- ignore it unconsciously subconsciously whatever word it is and um and also th- certain topics that were uh, introduced in there like the model minority in um in one of the chapters and the diversity um, mascot yeah so those those, those kind of fitted well with mine uh with my brain so it, it's a i would recommend whoever is hearing the podcast you get the book you will find connections uh, in different places so it's i found it intriguing you mentioned it in the first chapter but the it it the name is not a grammar of race you know a lot of people write books and then they it's like a, a very a title, which is just exact, it's like a self-help book, and its, it's the answers are in there, right? But you added the word "towards" in there. What's the idea behind it?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, you, you nailed it on there, right? Like, um, <laughs> it's not a self-help book <laughs> for sure. Um, and I think that yeah, one of the, the the you know the conversations we were kind of working with as well is I mean it can be a little bit of a long title for some, but at the same time that towards. Um, adds a little bit of uh adds some mobility right yeah it's a journey element yeah and we want to just kind of yeah uh, remove um a a fixed nature of kind of reading it like we don't this isn't the the end it it wasn't the beginning either it's Mm -hmm. something that's you know in conversation with stuff that's already been talked about here and around the globe but also just kind of trying to bring, to just like the conversations me, Lana, and Annie were having, bringing the different disciplines and backgrounds that we had uh, together in, into the same place, and is there a way that we can um, have more meaningful discourse um, instead of talking past each other, for example, um, on, on various levels, and so that towards a, a grammar of race was kind of how do we bring together all these different terms, these different languages, these different disciplinary backgrounds, and even personal backgrounds uh, together in the same place, um, and, and perhaps there's tensions there and, and we were, yeah. w- that was what was productive for us. I mean, there was tensions in the way we were coming into the conversation just because of our training and whatever, and and th- that we found those to be productive once, um, they started to rub against each other. Cause we're like, okay, wait a minute, you know, maybe we need to find new language or yeah. maybe there's not the language here. So we started looking to North American scholarship and, and that was very productive. But then at the same time, there was limits because, okay, Alterua is also unique, but it's connected, and so um, towards the grammar, I think is is part of that uh, reflecting that that movement, that mobility. This isn't closed off. It's not a self help book. It's a it's a book in transit. Um, it's 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 you know um, bringing together the language that exists right now, the language that people are using, and perhaps even also bringing in new language um, to to catalyze further. We hope uh, more responses mm-hmm. and and part of that too um, is bringing to the surface. You mentioned, you know, uh, earlier, like, you know, some of the stuff that's there, but we don't know, you know, it becomes invisible. So we want to bring bring to the surface or make visible part of what we felt was, was always there. And that's where grammar serves as a, I guess mm. a, a multiple meaning metaphor, right? On one hand, grammar is the language, the terms, the concepts that are all kind of being brought together in, in, a, in a way. But grammar also is then extended as a metaphor, right? So it's a, a rule of language, mm. but we don't always identify the grammar. You just speak with the grammar of whatever language rules you have. Mm. And it's there and it's underlying the way that even we're communicating right now uh, in order for us to be able to understand each other. And we wanted to say, Hey, how do we identify that grammar? Um, But socially, right? Mm. How do we bring to the surface this um, social architecture um, or or structure that is invisible but is nonetheless animating our societies in many ways and uh, particularly around the the scaffolding of race um, Mm. within our social worlds and how, yeah, a lot of times it's It's not – I mean, you think about the history of it and there's several chapters that get into it. There's so many centuries of investment in this mm. idea of race, mm. Mm. and then all of a sudden, okay, you know, you have this major political movements that have said, okay, racism is not a good thing. So then people are backing away from using that term, but it doesn't just dis- disappear. You know, centuries of investment doesn't just disappear because you don't want to, you want to avoid it, and then it just shapeshifts. People use it in different ways, or it's produced in different ways. Uh, but yeah, that's what we wanted yeah. to kind of to
1: yeah it's a, it, it's um it's an in, interest, interesting element um which was mentioned in the book about the history history of race and almost um, almost all chapters kind of mention it um, in the sense that it is all of a sudden we want to ignore the the aspects of race. Uh, ignore the history of race. All of a sudden, we need to cut it. It's the same conversations we have with with equity that all of a sudden we don't want to talk about bringing people up uh, who have been crushed through colonization. All of a sudden, we are all equal, right? We want to start from a base where is all equal, but we won't. We don't want to invest or recognize what we have done to people in the past to bring them up, right? So yeah. that's what happens with race conversations, as and and with my personal experience as well. People become very definitional when they are talking, when they are racist. Uh, when you're talking about uh, as a comedian as well, I get that as well. So, so, so you somebody says something which is a colloquially racist thing might not be definitionally racist and their defense is always is, well, that's not race. I just told you to go back to where you came from. That's not a racist thing. I'm just telling you to go back to where you were born. So it it is a very interesting fact that people are just running away from talking about the, uh, the actual term, but are not backing away from the actions which might be based on race.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, I think. And that's where there's those, um, the chapters are, what i like is that they're so diverse that we have some that have like these very locally specific examples that can really look at that that tangible material uh Mm. ways in which race is produced and like those examples you've given and then we also have some other ones that are maybe more focused on like the theory and the ideas and the ideology that underpins it like you mentioned right where Mm. you know oh I, i mean here in new zealand it's um I mean, all I can do is crack up at it, you know, but like, I I hear stuff like, um, casual racism or soft racism. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm like, what is this? I'm like, so there's like, it's like saying, Oh, I was just softly abused. (laughs) Right. Or I was just, you know, casually oppressed. And I'm (laughs) like, you know, I'm like, if we think about what's actually being said there, and it, it reminds me of, like, um, one of Malcolm X's speeches where he's talking about, like, Novocaine, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, so we can suffer peacefully. Um, <laughs> and um, and I think, yeah, that's definitely what, you know, what we're trying, by bringing the grammar to the surface, both the material intangible and the ideological immaterial intangible um, that underpins it, right, that justifies it, that makes it seem normal or invisible, Um then we can actually maybe more meaningfully confront it and be like, Hey, you can't just ignore it and have it disappear. Um, this is something that is part of the world as we know it. And if we really want to over, uh, you know, overcome it, then um, we need to actually more transparently, honestly, confront that yeah. uh, a- and see, you know, what it actually is, how it takes on so many, and it's contradictory. I mean, the concept of race is contradictory. I mean, that's, yeah. I guess that I should mention that, right? Like when we're talking about it, and that was one of the tensions that emerged in our early conversations coming out of anthropology, my undergrad in bio-anth and evolutionary ecology and all that kind of stuff. Like we had to very early on confront that race was, was science at one point yeah. in time, right? And so when we're talking about race, we're not talking about biology. We're not talking about genetics. But that legacy still echoes through today. Hmm. I mean, if you're a sports person, I mean… I watch this all the time, and you see how people talk about, you know, uh, darker skin racialized bodies as you know being more athletic, or, yeah. or these other things. And that, that echo of the genetic notion of race, the biological notion of race, um, is definitely still echoing through. So that's not what we're talking about, but it's still such a big part of it, right? And so, yeah. you know, getting those terms and 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 trying to, you know, lay that out, right? is, it, you know, I guess, part of that process, yeah.
1: Yeah, regular people do think, I mean, in in the r- recent contemporary New Zealand context as well, I mean, the talk about uh, co-governance and Te Tiriti o Waitangi, the people opposing it, they always racialize, that the the context is always racialized that we can't have equitable um, uh, distribution of wealth or we can't have... Um, adherence to the treaty because it is based on dna and it is based on we can't do that because it's racist because it's based on dna and it becomes very um very racialized and so i i I wanted to take that further um with the conversation about biculturism and multiculturalism coming from pakistan as a tangata tiriti or it's it's a it's a very interesting thing that happens around me in New Zealand when people start talking about biculturalism and multiculturalism. Both have immense issues in it. So how do you, how do you how do you contextualize it in your brain?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and that, I guess uh, not, again, not a an end all answer, right? Exactly. But one of the, the process in the moment, and some of the things that we talk about in the book, right, is um, it is confronting that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, uh, liberal multiculturalism on one hand, right, has this face of trying to to combat uh, racism, at least through language or, or you know, lip service. Mm. But then when we look at the structures uh, of uh, the society, it continually produces those same uh structures if we look at just who's over incarcerated right who's incarcerated yeah. in the first place and then who's not in universities right i yeah. think about you know even in my fields and i look across you know the demographics and i'm like not a lot has changed in the last century yeah. um but the language has and so mm-hmm. has you know what has actually changed and i think multiculturalism absolutely um that i think the the paradox or the contradictions in that is revealed throughout the book and several examples of, yeah, like it it isn't right. Like it's, it's, it is the, um, uh, to use like Seming mock when she talks about, um, the, uh, the diversity mascots, right. And, Mm. and, you know, tokenization, um, it it is a way to kind of distance from actually looking at the grammar of race, the, the power that works through race, Mm. because now you've kind of like, you have the same structure with a different color or at least you put you know you you put a little bit more or to use um, uh, Rawiri from the um, Maori party he mm. in the he was saying hey you know this this policy looks like a a, a white cake with some chocolate sprinkles on it <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Right. Um, you know to, to use that example yeah that's that's what's going on mm. um, but then it's then framed as bicultural um, and I think that's the other you know struggle as well and I mentioned this in my chapter where I'm like you know, is it, is it bicultural? When we think about public national holidays, mm. it's all uh, Christian, Eurocentric, Gregorian, calendar-based public holidays, um, with the exception of, one, this very year, right, of mm. Matariki, which was mm. finally publicly nationally recognized. So how is that bicultural, mm. right? And so really... Those are different layers of kind of again exposing the contradictions of race. That racial hierarchy is still very much in place structurally, mm. um, because we're in New Zealand, right? You know, yeah. we're, we're, we're maybe we're trying to reach Aotearoa, Te Ika Amawi or Te but New Zealand is right there in the way, right? It's the border patrol agent that's mm. guarding the the entrance uh, to anything else. And so, is it bicultural? I guess is the question that is raised. Yeah, um, is it multicultural? Is it then the next layer that's raised? Yeah. Um, and then we're at times then pitted against each other in that process mm. to uphold the already kind of standing uh, mm. hierarchical structure.
1: And uh, one thing I, um, after reading the book, I uh, reflected and I realized that these terms or defense defenses of the, um, the term of biculturism or the concept of multiculturalism is always... Or most of the times, not a scientific fact. I'm guess saying, but most of the times is used to um, negate uh, a thought or a protest or a demand from an oppressed minority. So, like, so if 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 there is talk of adherence to the adherence to the treaty, right? Um, we talk about biculturalism, but we forget about the, the multi-layered nature of Maoridom where each Iwi and um, Hapu and Fanao uh, have their own fakapapa of culture, right? So it, it it's a very interesting thing which was introduced in the book, which I realized that, um, I think I forgot the which chapter it was introduced in, but I think Maori and a Monolith was created by colonialism so it they didn't exist as a monolith before it, it was a, a the own society going through so using biculturalism in certain ways might negate the uh, the the diversity of uh, of mauridom and then you go on to multiculturalism then that also kind of negates the uh, the indigeneity of so, you know, it it makes Maori a minority in, in, in their own land. You know, if you talk about multiculturalism, all of a sudden, oh, we have to have all minorities equal. But that's a special status. They're indigenous, right? So I, I, I'm just talking through my brain because that's what happened with the reflection. When you read the book, you all of a sudden start thinking about these different aspects. I guess that was the goal.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I was thinking, you know, uh, as you mentioned that, right, um, uh, Garrett Cooper's chapter, right, he adds these layers of, yeah. the, you know, the complicated, you know, uh, internal politics and, yeah. and and tribal bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. And then you have Po Namu in his chapter mm-hmm. kind of with what you mentioned, right? He's yeah. like, we're going to be tenants in our own land yeah. if, the, if the trajectory continues. And so that is a unique category. Um, and and I guess that's the other that, – and that can be a tension, right, with different ways of thinking about mm-hmm. stuff. We're focusing on race. Um, but race overlaps with indigeneity at times, mm-hmm. right? And it sometimes is that sometimes it's a tension, right? Race is a way that sometimes uh, indigeneity can be uh, brought into the mainstream in order to kind of remove or erase what you're mentioning, right? That, that particular political status of indigeneity mm-hmm. and then vice versa. Sometimes race will then erase other groups, indigeneity as well, where we're talking yeah. about like Tangata Moana, for example. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to, you know, be able to open that up because yeah, they're, they're happening at the same time mm. and sometimes they're, they're at tension and are at odds, but that's because of the structures that have created that created it that way. Um, which again, is always about just reinforcing the same structure of power, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: it's, um, it's, so the, um, one thing I, I noticed was, um, and it was like an enlightening topic for me, and it might have existed since many years in academia, um, the concept of um, racial capitalism uh, in the book. And it all of a sudden gave me an idea that, oh, maybe I should base my PhD on that because I'm I'm working on an idea, but that's more based on Moana Jackson's Matiki Mai report and um, having a treaty-based constitution. But all of a sudden I'd read about racial capitalism. I said, oh my God, this is a whole new thing. It's not a whole new thing, but for my brain it was a whole new thing. And um, and it was it was an amazing enlightenment moment for me that um, what colonialism was about power but it was it kind of was all, all about capital and money and individualized preference in terms of land. So, it, in ter- so it, and, and then I focused back on East India Company in India and I was like, oh my God, it was all capitalism. So, it's, um, did, you, did you, while reading through these contributions from different people, did you have these moments all of, even though you have a PhD and everything, you all of a sudden going, oh my God, what, this is a fantastic way of thinking.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, on one hand, um, as an editor, there's a lot of admin work. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, can get, that can be kind of that, that, that's a the, that was probably the biggest struggle. But the the best part was, um, yeah, being able to read everybody's. Uh, chapters and and their what you know all those different lenses to to make sense of that and and even again like these shared terms that maybe we were thinking about differently hmm. and and i think again that that began with the the reading group with lana and, and anisha where and we would have got stuff out of the book on our own or the different books that we were reading um think about like the intimacy the intimacies of four continents for example by lisa hmm. Lowe and you get a lot of the um uh, the racial capitalism, stuff like that, or the way capital works through race. Mm. Uh, but then being able to think through it together, we would have these different insights. And then when we add all these other contributors as well, it just, uh, it opens up a constellation of possibilities in it, to understand this phenomenon around um, capital and class and power. And it could be from, and it could be based off of land, right? The enclosure mm. uh, or privatization of land and how that's related to colonial colonialism Mm. and and the impact on indigenous folks it could also be around labor um and who's doing what or if we think about you know the quote-unquote first and third worlds like there's a color line there Mm. that um is always assumed in that um but even to extend it further i mean of course gender is 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 implied in there also um but then also um that's the material tangible but then you know something that um I think Anisha does great in her chapter as well is like really signaling to the, those metaphysics of race where, it, you know, that material or that tangible is is ideological, right? And, and is part of a reality that can extend and move beyond. And I think that's another thing that helps complicate it further where, yes, we can look at consistency of likelihood around particular types of bodies,
1: mm-hmm. but it's
0: not just about the body because mm-hmm. sometimes that metaphor can be extended beyond it. Uh, in yeah. different ways to apply that oppression, right? Because with the logic of race, um, or even like anti-blackness, there's there's already an assumed norm, and so if you can extend that in other places, then you might be deploying race without realizing it mm. in order to, you know, maintain a particular um, hierarchy of power uh, or around class, or you know, you can uh, I guess in, in other terms like ideologically or. Um, darken people in order yeah. to oppress them right because then exactly. it makes sense yeah because you know yeah
1: yeah it is um uh, um the it, it is an inter- interesting you that you mentioned that before it uh, in terms of um the first world and the third world so-called all right and um and I've, I've read some literature around the fourth world which is kind of ignored uh, a lot of the times uh, and and it's it's so contemporary, I mean, in in, in the coverage of um, natural disasters or in the coverage of uh, the recent war in Ukraine as well. That language came out so openly where people were like, oh my God, this, this doesn't happen in our backyard. It happens <laughs> in, in the third world. And they openly said it. And I was like, how can you, even if you are thinking it, why are you saying it? So it's... Um, so it it is that dichotomy, or the that we have created over time. Do you think that is a um a product of um just Western colonialism because it was. Um, it didn't. I don't see it in literature on history. Literature on histories when we talk about empires before the 16th century It started coming on in empires after the after that. That that's a backward area, and that's a a, a nicer area. And these those are the brown people, and these are the white people. And so, uh, what's uh, what's your th- thinking around it in in terms of developing these two worlds that we have created in our brains?
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think. Um... Uh, You know where where I'm at at the moment, and having just finished this project and reading everybody's contributions and 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 working together with Lana and Ani, um, definitely I I would signal towards pointing to Mm. uh, modernity, right? And and as a where race is a modern Euro imperial invention, Mm. it coincides in that way and that isn't to say that there wasn't oppression before yeah right That doesn't it isn't to say there wasn't othering before yeah. but you have uh, a a new globalized form of of power that perhaps has um brought together all these different forms of power myself personally i i, I like um to To draw from the coloniality decoloniality project, where they refer yeah. to it as a as a colonial matrix of power, mm. right? Where we, where we can see the convergence of capital, race, gender, um, and and empire kind of coming together in a very unique way that's unprecedented on this planet. And mm. I think that's the, the the key significant difference. Again, that was stuff before. There was massive mm. stuff before, but at this moment, it's unprecedented in that in the scale. And in the logic that's used, such as the racial dichotomy, um, particularly around whiteness and blackness, and then everything in between that gets used as buffers uh, in that hmm. um, gender and the dichotomies around that. And also, uh, it, was, it and wasn't. So on, yeah.
1: And also, it wasn't like a. It wasn't a unified global project. I mean, it, starting from the papal bull. I mean, no before that, nobody was doing that. I mean, it's all of a sudden. Um, it is all uh, all. Um, as you said, it was it was happening before. It was happening in the uh, all different empires, in the Islamic Empire as well. Um, reading the history of it, they but this became a like for instance, different countries was working on the same model. So the Dutch East India Company and the British East India Company are working exactly. They don't. They might not have any connections, but they're working on the same model. Of capitalist colonization, which starts with racialization of the people they are living in the land. So, um yeah, uh,
0: absolutely, I, I think that's a you know good way of putting it. Like we think about the geopolitics yeah. of our world, right? Yeah. It didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. But the fact that we're all subject to global capital, mm. and the fact that that's a racialized capitalist system, it's a gendered capitalist system, mm. it's colonial and it's imperial um, to a particular point in time. And yeah, it's it's messy because there is a there's a shared kind of project that also isn't shared right as it's, it's connected um mm. and because like you mentioned right it look it begins to take on it, Uh, different faces in different places. And I guess speaking to the book, that's one of the things that we were trying to do is we were trying to make those links to this global um, connected legacy, but -hmm. at the same time, speak to kind of the specificity of some of the local unique formations and the way it shows up here. And sometimes that, you know, it it, it aligns really well and other times it it diverges and other times it conflicts. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really, I think, you know, Lana's, chapter on the digital rub and thinking about yeah. online. That was, it's great to kind of yeah. demonstrate how you have this language out of the UK, the US yeah. and here yeah. and they have their own unique contexts mm. and they're connected but now they're digitally connected mm. but you're also seeing the collides online because they're connected but not exactly in the same way yeah. and how do we make sense of that? And I think that's part of the try, reaching for a grammar that helps yeah. make sense of that as well.
1: Yeah, it is um and it's it it was um uh, quite interesting to read the the it, one of the concepts that I found really, really enlightening was the, 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 the so there's colonialism and then there's the colonial colon, I can't say coloniality. Yeah. Right. So, so I, I I recontextualized it in my history in Fakapapa is that I'd look at Pakistan, I was like, okay, people always tell me why are you worried about colonization because the British left well I said so and I always was never able to kind of verbalize the problems but now with the concept of coloniality which is like a leftover system which was shown in in the Indonesian uh, the 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 way Indonesia acted towards West Papua and it's the same kind of thing I started making parallels of East Pakistan West Pakistan and the and the creation of Bangladesh how you the remnants of colonization all of a sudden became so deep-rooted that it stays in the Constitution and and the lo- rules and the laws. And specifically, it's just the basic thing of why we have skin whitening creams to be... Um, a be, be a better person or a, a better be able to get more opportunities. It's so openly there that you oh you put the cream fourteen days you'll get married to a wonderful man. So it it it, it is um uh, so th- thank you for putting that together because it kind of it it, it kind of fixes some of the inner battles that you're having and you're like oh my god I can I can verbalize it now so which was which was great uh, through through this book.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah drawing from that, uh, Nelson Maldonado Torres and the coloniality yeah. of being. Yeah. So great. Yeah, it's like it's that how that power continues yeah. even beyond colonial administration. Yeah. And I think for, again, that quote unquote third world, like that's <laughs> very much the case. And I think it's important to start there too, because that's the majority of the world, right? It's the majority yeah. experience of this planet. Um, yeah. And so, how do we put that into conversation with where we're at too in the settler colonial context of Aotearoa, New
1: Zealand, for sure? So I can talk about this topic because of what I'm studying and in my background for hours and hours, and but I want people to read the book, not just listen to the podcast, buy the book and read the book. So, um, just coming uh, to the end of it, um, what's what's next in on, on your plate?
0: Oh man! What's happening? Uh, oh man, a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I guess, like in, intellectually, um, you know, uh, putting together this book—I um, mean, it was—it was a lot of work, and and it was uh, uh, very enriching, um, and I, I want to do it again. Uh, but perhaps I need to—I still have my PhD thesis that I haven't turned into a book, so I think yeah. that's the the next thing in in line that I have. But um, having done this project, um, I need to rethink my, my own thesis and, and critically reevaluate that. And, um, so I think definitely, um, you know, my, my previous work was around, um, again, these, the ritual food of Kava and the, um, uh, contemporary, uh, engagement with that, um, in diaspora contexts. Um, But now having done this and, and read all the things here, I want to fuse those together and be like, okay, how, how do those two things uh, play out in different ways? And, um, How are people perhaps finding ways to uh, relate to each other in in ways that undermine the hierarchy that we're kind of forced into, uh, you know, in the global grammar of of race? So that's one thing on my mind. Another Mm. one is thinking about this stuff in a a specific context in in Tonga Mm. um, with a a colleague of mine, Natasiu Ulua. But yeah, that's kind of on the radar at the moment. And uh, I'm sure uh, Lana and Annie have a ton of stuff to to put out there as well. Yeah, and I wanted the, You know, yeah. I wondered wa- <laughs> all
1: three of you, but it was like a. I was like, oh, so it's there because the, if all of you are like on the move somewhere at the moment. There's some, there, there, There's something happening in your lives, which was like, okay, well, it's, it's fine. I mean, I can, I could even talk to one of the contributors. But then, um, uh, Luke on uh, Bridget Williams said. Oh, Arcia is still available, I think, uh, and I'm like, okay, let's talk to him. Uh, yeah, no,
0: <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah, yeah. No, everyone's moving different spots. Lana's currently at the University of Oregon, mm. and, and and Anisha's doing a PhD in Canada, and so mm. doing big things, both of them, and which is great, you know. And and I'm sure all the contributors too. I, these are all people that I follow, and and um, you know, they're, they're a lot of young scholars in here as well, and activists also. Yeah. Um that that you know we're telling the story you know that uh like the black lives matter march down in wellington and that was that was great too so these are all yeah it's yeah, great because the... now I'm keeping the focus on all the work they're doing and there's a lot of stuff that'll stem out of it i'm sure
1: <laughs> so th- this, in, in the end um any any place people can uh follow you um as in i mean um you i heard uh, your podcast on 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 podbean but uh, What's what's out there on in social media if people want to follow Tekun?
0: Sure. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that one, Podbean, it's uh, on Spotify and, and Apple Podcasts as well. Um, I am on Academia and ResearchGate, hmm. I guess, you know, for those who aren't familiar, right? Like when you're a professional nerd, that's the social media, right? Yeah. <laughs> the professional nerds. Um, if you want to do some reading, yeah. uh, I try to put as much as the stuff I can on there. Um, and those are probably the easiest ways to kind of keep track of, of that, um, of the kind of the different works that, that I'm doing. Um, and then I'm not currently on any other social media at the moment. Um, and I just recently, uh, just, just got off of uh, a few of them and, uh, hoping that I can get some more work done, some more writing done, <laughs> uh, and then I may reappear again. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Great. So thank you thank you for uh, taking out the time it was a fantastic conversation and um i highly recommend people uh buying the book it is available um on all uh bookstores in new zealand that you can buy from um i would also recommend if you go to bridget williams uh books who are the publishers their website you can order it online and also other, other places you can order it online as well. So get on it. Um, uh, buy the book. And uh, Tekun, thank you very much. I hope you have a fantastic day. And I hope there is another book coming with your uh, with your PhD thesis. And we'll talk again about that then.
0: Sounds good. Kia ora, Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Tenakwe, everyone.